Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax in Oakton, Virginia. We hope you enjoy this sermon from a recent Sunday worship service. Well, before I get started, I have to tell you a little bit of a story, which is, for those of you who don't know, my wife, Alice, is also a minister. And so on some Friday nights, we sit next to each other. I'm at my computer, she's at her computer, and she's, you know, working on her sermon, I'm working on my sermon. And uh, a couple years ago, she found that clip, she wanted to talk about uh, Jazz, Joy, and Justice, which is a sermon she did in her internship, actually, and then repeated a little bit different version for her Leesburg congregation, she's the minister in Leesburg. And so, um, I, I, when I thought about the service today, I wanted to do that, I wanted to find this clip, I wanted to talk about it. And so I started to write about it, and I, I got stuck, and I said, can I read your sermon? I want to read your sermon, because we had talked about it a lot through the years, right? And so I read her sermon, and I said, well, this is pretty much what I want to say. Are you okay if I read part of your sermon today? So um, I would say two-thirds of this is my wife Alice's sermon. I've never done this before, and... just believe that both of us are up here today, and I wanted to express my gratitude. It's not plagiarism, because I'm telling you that I'm actually (laughs) copying this. If that video we just watched today were to play on, this is the next thing that Herbie Hancock would say. He said what he learned was, we can look for the world that we would like to be as individuals. Make it easy for me, but I think the important thing is to grow, and the only way we can grow is to have a mind that is open enough to experience things as they are and make something constructive happen with it. That's what he said after that in the, in the clip. I know not everyone loves jazz, <laughs> especially the person who just giggled. But I always have. And sometimes I think I was born in the wrong era. I remember the first time I heard Dave Brubeck's Take Five. I was in high school at the time. I remember hearing Keith Jarrett for the first time. The riffs of Mel Torme, who my aunt went to high school with. Ella Fitzgerald, the incredible piano playing of Oscar Peterson, almost as good as Dave Anderson. My primary Pandora holiday radio station is the Holiday Jazz Radio. I don't know if I ever really got one of the reasons I love jazz so much until I heard that story from Herbie Hancock. I've seen some great jazz live where the band was so tight and the music was amazing and where if you heard the same song night after night and you really listened to it, it would never be exactly the same. One of the traits of a tight jazz group is their ability to listen to each other and respond, even to the point of taking something that initially was wrong, hearing it, understanding that that was just what happened, and moving on to do something constructive with it. I think one of the reasons I love jazz so much is because the world is not and will never be completely predictable, orderly, or static. The world will never fit perfectly into the boxes that we may have built for it. The world is an ever-changing, ever-gifting, ever-challenging thing. 
And to me, it feels like jazz is often the soundtrack of the world. Now, unless we are musicians, and maybe particularly jazz musicians or jazz experts, and I'm neither, we could possibly think of jazz improvisation as magic. We could think it's easy. It looks easy. It doesn't look easy. It looks easy. But from what I understand, jazz improvisation is not a random free-for-all. You can't just play what you want and make it sound good. You have to practice a lot to know the basics and beyond. And then you may have a level of freedom, the creative intuition necessary for improvising jazz. In interacting with the world and with each other, we are often required to improvise. And in order to be at our creative best, it helps to have a strong foundation. This is true with life in general, of course. We learn and embrace the basics of being human, taking care of our bodies and minds, building emotional health and resilience, and nurturing and growing our spirits. How that looks may differ for individuals according to our social location and other factors like race and socioeconomic status, and parents, and religion, and background, sexual orientation, our place in society, and how society treats us. But certainly, over the last couple of years, we've had to know the basics and improvise and adapt so much. And we don't learn these basics in isolation. We learn it in and with communities of people and through interactions with our surroundings, both near and far. What we learn is important. Not just who we are, but how we want to live in the world. What we are willing to work for. What we are willing to risk and be vulnerable for. And as we mature, we look beyond ourselves as individuals and begin to consider others. Further building on the basics of being human. We have opportunities to respond, to improvise our lives, and to improvise in our relationships. But sometimes, no matter how much we practice, sometimes, like Herbie Hancock, we hit the wrong chord. Herbie Hancock had it all going that night. The music was hot, and he was on. He was just playing, giving over his heart and soul to the music and his bandmates, giving over to the interactions with the other musicians, the relationships on a professional and personal level, enjoying the audience and being in the groove. He was probably not thinking about playing the wrong chord. But imagine his horror and his shock when it happened. He said, even after Miles Davis played the notes that made the chord right, he was unable to move. He sat there like this, playing for about a full minute and a half. Haven't we had something like this happen to us? It may or may not be momentous, but still, it may take a while for us to get over it. A sharp retort that we wish we hadn't said. Hitting send a little too soon on an email or reply to all when really it should have just gone to the one person and maybe a personal conversation with them instead. 
a Facebook post where the tone didn't transfer well, using language that offends whether intentional or not, or a perceived offense or defense on anyone's part, we can play the wrong chord. That night, Miles Davis gave Herbie Hancock a gift. Hancock says Davis saw his wrong chord not as a mistake, but something that just happened, an event. And Miles Davis himself says when you hit a wrong note, it's the next note you play that determines if the first note was good or bad. So what matters is less about the mistake, the wrong note or chord. That's just something that happened. That's just an event. But how we hear it, how we receive it, it's how we respond to it, what we do next, that can make all the difference. I think about this particularly now in our nation and in Unitarian Universalism. Whatever happens... How will we respond? I would say that how we respond to each other, especially when one of us hits the wrong chord or note, is a way of practicing beloved community. The Reverend Joanne Fontaine Crawford writes that beloved community is not held within our church walls. As soon as we begin to think like that, we've moved into the exact opposite direction of beloved community. Because in creating that definition of community, we have necessarily created otherness. There is the community inside our walls, the people who think like us, act like us, look like us. And there are the people who are not part of the community, the others. Thinking that way is not building beloved community. Beloved community is all of us. Everyone. Everywhere and everything, everyone, everywhere, everything. Like improvisational jazz or comedy improv itself, beloved community takes openness. It takes work. It means yes and to explore with each other what the possibilities are. We can think of it as kind of magic that just happens that we are waiting to stumble upon or find. But Dr. King said, Beloved community cannot be found. It must be created. And that indeed takes work, and that work is ours to do. Beloved community may require us to do things differently, to act differently, to offer differently, to receive differently, to pay attention to how we say things and when we may have caused harm. It may require us to examine our assumptions and best practices in large ways and in small ways. But here's the mind-blowing part. True, beloved community, the entire community, the entire community is responsible for what comes next. The community and only the community. And it must be the entire community that offers grace and brings the outsider back into the fold of beloved community. Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock might say that it takes the whole band and years of working together. I know that we may not see this in our lifetimes, or if we do, it will happen in small ways. But the choice to stay in community, to do the work of making it beloved, 
and making each other our beloveds and everyone and everything beloved to us, to me that's where the joy comes and the wonder. Knowing that I'm not in this alone, that I do not have to do this by myself, neither do you. The work of building beloved community belongs to, to all of us. And when I fall short of my ideal, and believe me, I do, there are those who bring me back into the fold and into the embrace of the community of which we serve. We are all capable of extending grace. And sometimes we are required to extend extra grace to folks who need it. And sometimes the person who needs that is me or any of us. We're all capable of playing the next note, of knowing that we are responsible for what happens next. The joy is that we are in this struggle together and that we can improvise pretty well together, actually, in this congregation. You know, Dr. King once said, let us be dissatisfied until every person can have food and material necessities for their body, culture, and education for their mind, freedom and human dignity for their spirit. Let us be dissatisfied until rat-infested, vermin-filled slums will be a thing of the past, and every family will have a decent sanitary house in which we live. Let us be dissatisfied until the empty stomachs of Mississippi are filled and the idle industries of Appalachia are revitalized. Let us be dissatisfied until our siblings of Asia and Africa and Latin America will no longer be the victim of imperialist exploitation, but will be lifted from the long night of poverty, illiteracy, and disease. So as we travel together through this holiday season, as we play the notes that we will play, let us remember the joy that comes from having that moment when we think, oh, this is what beloved community feels like. Mm. Wrong notes and all. Let us practice. And see? And now what's the next note that we're going to play after that? Let us practice and work together until it becomes second nature. And then let us play our hearts out, knowing that there is no perfection and it only real, really feels perfect when the improvisation is allowed and embraced. Remember, it's not the wrong notes we play. It's what happens after we play them. May that be so, and amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Fairfax. To listen to more UUCF sermons, go to uucf.org slash podcasts or subscribe via iTunes with the keywords podcasts UUCF.